Hi. Hello. So this is the I2 podcast, and we have a special episode this week um, that we couldn't not share with you guys. <laughs> Bonus episode. Bonus. Don't get used to them, though. Um, we were lucky enough to sit down with the First Lady of San Antonio, Miss Erica Prosper. Um, and yeah, it's a pretty good conversation. Um, it's everything you want and more. <laughs> we were super stoked about this one and um, tried to keep our composure. Um, but we did have some technical difficulties as, you know, shit happens. We're new at we're this. New. We're learning as we go. Um, but hang in there. The sound might be a little fuzzy, but it's a good one and it's worth listening to. Yes. Um, and sharing, of course. So Obviously. Listen in. Here we are. Some people might listen in the morning while they're getting ready. That's true. Okay. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. This is Jessica. This is Elsa. And who do we have here with us? A very special guest. (laughs) Do I introduce myself? Do it. All right. Hi, I'm Erica Prosper. I am the, I work at HEB. I'm one of the executives there. Um, I also am the chairwoman of the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce this year. And I also happen to be your first lady of San Antonio. Well, technically, I'm married to Ron Nirenberg. Because um, I... Technically. Because, <laughs> they... well, you never know. If he plays his cards right, he keeps me. <laughs> um, so, uh, and uh, I think I'm really excited I, I'm uh, to be here. I know we've been talking about tacos. Yeah, we have. uh, We're trying to hold our fangirling in, but we're so excited to have you here, and we're very grateful to have your time this morning. So thank you. Yeah, when we were planning season two, we were like, "What about her?" And then I was like, "I don't know how we would even start to like make that connection." And then she just texted me out of nowhere. Oh yeah! If you want connections, go to Michael (laughs) Bella, our new executive director of the Red Cross here in San Antonio. Fantastic! What a great. (laughs) <laughs> what a great mission. I know. Um, so, I mean, tell us, what's your, what's your story? Like, what, oh. what defines you? What defines me? Oh, I guess it depends on the stage in your life, right? That's one of the good things about being a, you know, a human being is you get to, you get to define yourself at different stages. Right now, currently, it's kind of a mix of, a mix of, you know, ensuring that my son, who's now 10 years old, uh, continues on that path of, you know, the, the, the light side, not the dark side, as I say. <laughs> We're a big Star Wars fan family. Um, and I think it's a mixture of that, uh, uh, really coming into understanding, you know, motherhood doesn't have to be just one way um, as he grows up. And then the other mixture is really, you know, uh, again, uh, taking this uh, year um, as, as chairwoman of the chamber and and taking these two years as your first lady to to finally, you know, get some stuff that I wanted to get done um, secretly as Erica, <laughs> but now saying like actually a lot of it has you know is helpful to the larger community. So right now, I guess it's in many ways it's being defined by doing for others. Not to say that I don't think that we should live that way, but there are opportunities when you can magnify that, and I think that's where I am right now is just really magnifying towards others and trying to bring as many resources as possible. So when you talk about Jonah, I mean. What, what's that like? What is it like uh, to be the mother of a teen girl? It's great. I always say that, you know, um, that heaven, you know, how God says you have free will and, and, and whatever you believe, whatever religion, but everyone believes there's something outside of yourself. 
so for those of you that grew up like Mexican Catholic like I did, um, what, what? <laughs> Mexican Catholic, Easter, Christmas, um, and then the Dia de la Virgen. <laughs> no, uh, what's interesting is I always describe it as it, it must be what God meant heaven to be because you get to live your childhood all over again, except this time you can drive yourself and have some money. <laughs> but uh, being the mother of a 10 year old is great. Um, you know, I don't fault uh, anyone forever needing that time off. I only have one, so I can't imagine people that have more than one, and already one is exhausting. What is it like raising a boy, but it's fun in It's interesting, um, just yesterday I was telling some women that I've started to change kind of what the baseline is for him, so sometimes, you know, instead of saying like, oh, you're, you're, you're the best uh, boy ever, or, or you, when you grow up, you know, you're going to be as good as, and instead of using male role models right now, I've been lately saying, you know, honey, don't worry, you're as good as a girl. <laughs> you're just as smart as girls. Because yeah. uh, I do think it's an interesting thing to set that baseline differently for him. Um, you know, it's really important that I still uh, put in some manners for that boy, though, because I think the more independent and the more... Um, uh, the more sort of self-reliant that women get, I think the, the more lost the role of a boy could be, you know, or a man could be. Um, although they still have the upper hand and probably will for a long time. Let's not joke or let's not kid ourselves. But I think for, for a mother raising a son, it's really important to put in some basic manners. And the reason is manners aren't for me. They're not about like, oh, coming off good in society or oh, you know, when we take you to places. To me, they're the very basic way of showing respect for someone. Um, so I actually think that a young man who has manners and shows manners is already predisposed to um, to to see a woman as his equal. Yeah. Uh, because he's, he's taught to show that respect even if he doesn't realize it. So um, that's one of the reasons why it was really important for me. To, who does he take after? Well, it depends. So, um, obviously, he looks like his father. Like, I would, you know, take it to the highest court and dispute that that's not a Nirenberg. He's identical to his dad. Um, but I think he's leaning more towards the arts and music and creativity, and that was more me as we were growing up. Um, not to say wrong wasn't, he, he was in band, but uh, but his personality, I think, is, is more like mine. It's a little bit more... Well, I want to remind everyone that he started this when he was three because Ron, Ron was a councilman five years before he became mayor. So Jonah was three years old when we started down this path of public service. And, you know, at three, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just like, hey, you're taking me on long walks in my stroller. Oh, we're stopping occasionally in front of every house. Whatever. <laughs> but as we've gotten older, we've talked about the responsibility. Um, you know, there are times when I can see that he doesn't necessarily want to be responsible for Because we'll say, hey, you know, a lot of kids watch you. And so it is your responsibility to, to ensure that you're presented the children of San Antonio. A lot of you guys are like, what? I could see that that sometimes gets him a little bit like, uh, okay. And then other times he's like, all right, I got it. You know, let's show them that San Antonio's kids are, are creative and smart and, and kind. Um, but he loves a microphone, <laughs> loves it. Like if you've ever seen my son at an event with us and I ever even remotely think that I'm going to give him a microphone, he grabs it, he sings, he he does everything. So I think, I think that part has been easier on him, the events where he can participate. Um, 
the block walking was interesting, you know, two years ago, only because um, he was all in for his dad. We stood at polling stations with the signs and, and everything. But I think he really was invested. He didn't understand the fact that if daddy lost, he would be done, you know, with, with this part of public service, at least. He didn't understand that. He thought, oh, he'd go back to being a councilman. So that conversation was difficult because, you know, kids want their parents to win. So when he didn't, um, when I had to explain that, no, if daddy loses, you know, he's, he's done for now in anything public service, I think he was, a, like, it was a little stressful for him. And so when, now that you have his childhood here in San Antonio, can you talk about a little bit of your trajectory? Because mm -hmm. I know a little bit about your story from previous events, sure. but I want the listeners to really hear how you came to San Antonio and your childhood. Well, um, a lot of people, I think by now know, I was a farm worker. I was a migrant uh, farm worker from the Rio Grande Valley and spent a good portion of my life um, going up north, as they say, you know, Leveland and Yoshu and up through Michigan. Um, and so for me, um, very, very early on, um, I was lucky in that my grandmother, who's, you know, still a big, big influence on me, she didn't really know that much except she, she she figured out that somehow education was a way to have a better life, you know. And, and it could be the fact that we were in, in America and she came over and the American dream was tied to education. So um, so she was always very good about telling me to keep moving forward. Um, what's interesting for me is that um, I, love my, I love my family uh, very much, but I was one of the few that did pursue an education. I was one of the few that graduated from high school, went to college. Um, and so it was not that easy because in the valley, as much as I loved the valley at the time, at the time, um, you know, the education system wasn't what it was. I know in the last 20, 25 years, the valley has become actually a, a sort of a pilot area for tons of education projects through the Gates Foundation and through many colleges. So the standard um, and the output has definitely increased from back then, 25, 30 years ago. Um, you know, we, we weren't discovered yet. So the education, when you came out of it and you went to college, you were behind, you know, plain and simple. So it was a struggle, first of all, to, to leave the Valley. Um, uh, it was a struggle to go through college without think, with, you know, thinking that I was you know, the same as others and that I would be able to even graduate. But you know, like they say, every, everybody has someone in their life. And I urge listeners to, to see this or to hear this and take it seriously. If there's even one person who has an inkling of faith in you, whether it's a teacher, a counselor, you know, an, uh, someone in an after-school program, you know, believe them. Because all we need really is to have someone believe us or believe in us. Um, that's what I had. I had a series of people um, throughout elementary, middle school, and high school that believed in me. Not believed like, oh my God, you are the best thing ever, but would say things like, you could go to college, you know, would say things like, you're really smart or you're very creative. And it's these little nuggets because I came from a family that although is very loving and I love them to death, their number one priority was survival. They didn't have time to say like, you're a smart, creative, you know, wonderful kid. Uh, they were like, hey, we have to get it to the field by six. Um, you know, even though I knew they loved me and they showed it that way, my, my tias would drive me to UIL events, you know, three, you know, four or five in the morning or pick me up late, but that was all they could understand or do for me. Um, and they weren't brought up in a, in, a, in a culture where they were also told that they were pretty or smart or nice. They had a function. 
You know, they were supposed to be wives. They were supposed to input with the work they did. You know, no one cared whether or not they had an opinion. So for them to know that somehow just taking me, that without, without really knowing that driving me to a UIL event was really life-changing. Um, when did that Oh, well, believe it or not, back in the day, I was a track. I was in track. Uh, I made, I made, uh, I lettered in my freshman year in cross country. Yeah. Um, and I was, uh, my latter part of my, of my uh, high school education, I was part of the, what do you call the, the video club or the RTF club. <laughs> um, so we were always traveling with football games and we were going to cover the, the football team or the soccer team. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, Earlier on, as an elementary school student, I was involved in, in, in extemporaneous speaking, um, uh, math league, even though now you could ask me, and I'd be like, I don't remember half the things. Um, I science and stuff. Yeah. You know, I could probably still remember a few things. Thank you. Which nice. <laughs> and then the cathalon. Yeah. I was involved in something called the cathalon. Um, so those that's that's part of the journey and i went into detail over that only because i think that you know a lot of people think that to support your son or your daughter or your niece or your nephew you got to do these grand gestures you know and it really isn't mine is a series of people doing small gestures that helped me with the next step and the next step um i'll i'll say this too because i think it's also um uh, important is that when i was 17 um i had to be taken out of my home and I was put in foster care. Um, and I won't go into it, I just know that my mom was going through a, a different time in her life. She'd gotten divorced, it was not a good time for her. And she made some choices, you know, let some people into our home that she shouldn't have. Um, but in the end, those people that fostered me ended up adopting me in my 20s. Wow. So I didn't really, they didn't really need to do that, but they've been my parents for as long as my, my birth mom has been my mother, I think. A little longer actually um and it's it was it's been interesting because when i go to the valley i split my time between my birth family my loud mexican amazing family who still has a lot of, of issues that our latino community you know have and then i go to my other family which are these these really nice middle class you know uh parents from tennessee <laughs> missouri and tennessee um and so to, to balance those two things out has been really interesting. What was that shift like for you? Man, let me tell you, the first thing that you do is, is you're grateful. But the second is you're scared out of your mind because you think you can't screw up or they'd send you back. You know, you can't screw up or they send you back to the foster, the foster system or the foster care. And, um, and so there is a, an added pressure to, to be perfect and to like just overachieve by nature i was already an overachiever but it, it's it's a high thing you, you think to yourself every day you know you can't you can't talk back you can't you can't say certain things you can't you can't insult them in any way so you're always a little bit on eggshells over time obviously when my my parents um ended up like explaining to me you know chill out child <laughs> you're ours um, I think that obviously got lax and now, you know, I, I love them to death. They're going back home is very different with my birth family. We're like in the backyard. Los niños están gritando. I love, I mean, I'm sitting with my grandma. It's chaos, chaos, chaos. And it's just, you know, just joy and loud and, and 
really speaks to who I am and who, who, I, who, I, who I grew up being. And then with my parents, it's all very intellectual discussions. <laughs> you know, we talk about quantum physics and we talk about multiverses and we talk about, you know, the, the morality of, of one philosopher uh, versus, uh, you know, something else. It's really, really fun. What type of advice would you say from both sides of your family have you been able to use most in your life? So both both my mom and my grandmother um, have this really amazing sense of simplifying things to the essence of, of compassion, honestly. Um, my grandmother's best piece of advice is, you know, no peleen con sus esposos. You know, she's like, you can dis disagree, but don't fight. She's like, there's no point in fighting. Just disagree and do what you want anyway. That's what she says to me. <laughs> <laughs> Simple enough. Let me write that down. <laughs> My mom's is not that similar, not that different. She always says, you know, before you go into get into an argument with your spouse, you know, understand why you're getting into an argument. What's the intent? What is it that you want out of it? Because sometimes it's not that you think you're doing it for for this higher cause, and it's really just sometimes you just don't want to lose an argument. So they're similar, but in a weird way, um, I think it's been helpful. Those two have been very helpful, especially as you think about like all the weird stuff that Ron and the marriage to Ron has taken me through. You know, um, especially now uh, it is just that advice around around uh, relationships uh, has been really good. The other thing my grandmother, I love this piece of advice she used to always say, is the, well, this one saved me, I think, a lot of hassle when I was a teenager. She used to say, una, una, una mujer es como un vaso de agua. Si alguien lo toca, se le notan las manchas. <laughs> you know, that kept me pretty much uh, from getting into any kind of uh, trouble with boys. I think all through, co pretty much through college, I'd be like, ah, my grandma's going to know someone touched me. <laughs> That's always been great. And then my mother, my mother's best piece of advice as well that I love is she, she used to always say, he who dies with the most toys wins. And that was a good reminder that life should be kind of about fun and you should always think about, you know, enjoying it and looking for uh, the situations to have to enjoy yourself so those are always in the top of my mind whenever i get stressed about something oh it's not going well i'm like you know he who dies with most toys me, so i'm good <laughs> <laughs> i had fun that's awesome you. oh well i know a lot of our listeners were wondering because we kind of did a call out yeah. for questions oh. everybody was so Yay. excited to hear about your point All of right. view on some sort of things All right. uh, one of them they wanted to know where you and the mayor met Oh, we, we met in graduate school. Um, it was very romantic uh, in that I toured him through the school and then forgot about him. <laughs> but apparently he didn't. Apparently he came back the following year because we were his perspective day and from the get-go kept asking me out. Kept asking I didn't me realize out. that. Was funny. Yeah, and I, I was just like, it's cool, dude. Were um, you playing hard to get or you really were just like, meh, we'll see what happens. It was the meh. We'll see what happens. <laughs> and it was really because, um, no, I think very few people have seen the pictures, but Ron Nuremberg used to have this, he has curly hair. No one really knows it because he keeps it really short. But when he lets his hair grow, it's, it's this big, beautiful curls, you know, the big brown curls. Well, now I guess they're not brown. <laughs> big, big curls. But he let it long. So he looked kind of like, um, have you ever seen, oh, you know Moana? Uh, yeah, I you know? Seen, but I know the character. You know Moana and the, the Indonesian when they have the long curly uh, hair? Uh, he literally looked like that. 
because he, you know, yeah, he's got Malaysian blood. His mother's Malaysian. And so, um, so he had that long kind of hair and I just was not into long hair. So I, I, I did not, I did not respond appropriately, but I'm telling you, he was relentless. Like he, I guess he, in his mind, he said he knew. And so he just, he'd ask me out, even if I was dating someone else, he'd bide his time and walk me home or let's go out to have, you know, with groups and little by little, um, it just kind of wore me down, and uh, I think most people have read this. But finally, I said, "Oh my goodness! You know, the only way to get rid of you is to is to kind of force you to do something um, that you're not going to want to do." So, um, and I liked him. It wasn't like I didn't like him, but I was not interested in a relationship with him. Um, and so I said, "I'll go out with you if you cut your hair, and if you stop dressing like you're in the '70s, because that was the other thing most people don't know about your mayor is he was like very into bell bottoms." In the 2000s, um, he was ahead of his time. He was, um, and the next day, the next day, he comes in with short hair and it, wearing Gap. <laughs> that was going to be my next question: Is at what point did he cut his hair? That was but it. That was that was that it. Not take long. Samson. Yeah, pretty much. Awesome. So uh, when did you know? Well, this is the ironic thing. So he had spent months pursuing me and me like, whatever, whatever, fine, I'll go out on a date with you. You, you cut your hair, for God's sakes. I can't go back on my, <laughs> yeah. my, my contract. He actually has the contract still. Um, it took one date. And you want to know the three things that he did during that one date? Yes. First, he made me dinner, which I was like, ooh, you know, they, they I was like, he can cook. Right? Second thing is he had a spotless bathroom. Spotless bathroom. Ladies, if you ever go on a date and you're at a guy's pad, check out the bathroom and how clean it is because that is an indication of how either how they will either be helpful in housework or their expectation of, of uh, hospitality towards you. If a man takes his time to clean his bathroom for you, like really clean it, then he's serious about you. Okay? Because he it was spotless. And then the third thing is he took me to see Notting Hill. Well, how can you not? Yeah. And it took one date. After one date, I thought, wow, we're, we're like, okay, all right, I'll go out with you again. Yeah. By That was in November. By spring break, we were engaged. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He knew what he wanted. He does. He always does. He always knows what he wants, and he does not veer off. That's amazing. Um, one of the questions that you ask often is who inspires you? Oh, well... The easy one is my grandmother um, and my and my adoptive mother. That's an easy one, guys. And I'll be honest, these two women um, are really the foundation of who I am. They're very different, and yet they're not that different. Um, but on a larger scale, I am very much inspired by um, my, sounds cheesy to admit it, but my boss, my current boss, he, it's a man. Um, and he inspires me because um, I often used to say that when I joined HUB, I was I was a good manager. You know, I, I felt I was a good manager. I felt I was I had strengths. Um, after working for him for ten years, I feel like I'm a better human being. Um, he is a kind man. He's a very fair man. I mean, like Solomon Fair. You know, let's let's make sure that everyone's there. Um, he's he's compassionate. Um, he understands, even though he himself doesn't have children. Um, He's very understanding about the plight of mothers, specifically the fact that you're juggling so many roles, um, and has always worked to make me feel more empowered um, about going out and doing that. So 
he's very inspirational from that perspective. He's also um, very inspirational in that I think he's um, one of those one of those men. He and his husband, I think, are are they they go to show me a lot about what a true marriage is, um, and it's it's an orthodox thing to consider. Um, but at the same time, I think I've learned so much from them about the patience and the and the care that it takes to really be involved in a in a healthy relationship with your spouse. And so it's it's a very inspirational thing. On the celebrity front, <laughs> um, I am completely and utterly, um, you know, in a weird way, uh, just awed um, by like Kate Blanchett and and sort of her ability to 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 speak her truth, um, but at the same time, you know, stay strong and represent different things. I know that there are a lot of actresses um, out there that are really kind of taking the the reins of their careers and, and in Hollywood, you know, we talk about Reese Witherspoon and all, everything that Reese Witherspoon has just managed to do. Um, you know, she's kind of cool as well, but, but I'd have to say most of my inspirations are really more closer to home. Uh, yeah. How would you? We had another customer, yeah. another client. Excuse, I thought I was still at work. No, it's actually Ginger from Philly's Modern. She's amazing. Um, hey, Ginger! Was, I know she loves you. She was asking, "How is she hey, awesome?" That that uh, that emerald dress that I bought at uh, or oh, not Feliz Modern. I'm sorry. The uh, the beady beady bomb bomb pencils I bought at Feliz oh, yeah. Modern. I hot glued them together and made myself a, a barrette. So <gasps> I look kind of like a disheveled librarian, but when you look closer, it says bitty bitty bum bum all the pencils. It has a deeper meaning. It does. So she was wondering how you juggle your life goals with your husband's life goals. Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, you know, here's what's interesting is that I let his life goals um, kind of run their course and I have my life goals run their course. But what I try to do for anything else is if there's something that's going on in his in his area that I'm interested in, I'll be open with him and I'll tell him, hey, I'd like to be included in that. A good example is uh, everyone who knows me knows I'm a huge champion of literacy. Literacy can change the world. Anybody who's listening and has a small child, please read at least three times a week to them because the average child from, from our gente goes into um, like pre-K with only about one to three million words compared to about... Three, thir- 300 million words that other kids go into. So believe me, it's it's a disparity that we've got to, to, to really close the gap on. And it's primarily um, done because people don't realize that reading anything, a can, a flyer, anything is, is exposing your kids to words. Kids learn by listening to words. So with that said, when, um, when he became the mayor, um, I to your point around goals, I said, hey, you've got this thing called the Mayor's Book Club. You know, um, can I, you know, can I kind of take it over? <laughs> and, and of course, my husband's like, knowing that my goals are always very much about, and you know, pushing literacy, he said, sure. And I worked with Sarah McLornan, who's an amazing staff person for him. And uh, and with her help, we were able, she and I were able to kind of relook at it and, and redo it and redistribute it from it not just being in the central library to really being satellite, all our different districts. And then we engaged each district um district uh, council person and said, what What are you interested in? Or what is your your district interested in? Let's have what you're reading be a reflection of your district or you. So they get to know what's important to you. And we've done five districts. The next one is, is uh, District 6 Council in Brockhouse. I believe his wife 
It's very passionate around um, around rights, civil rights, and, and, and particularly around slavery. Interestingly enough, like really, yeah. I think she. I think they went on a vacation, and she was very touched by the plight um, that she that she saw. So she picked that topic, um, uh, and we'll be going out to uh, to their lunch. But that's an interesting way in which I meld them both. So so Ginger, you know, and and vice versa. I think when Ron knows something's very important to me. Um, he makes an effort to also um, figure out how to be there for me or help me uh, take care of Jonah while I'm doing it, um, or even just in the nicest way, give me a shout out, you know, um, with it. So that's how that's how we try to meld it. Yeah. Um, Chrissy was asking, what do you think we can do as a city and a community, more specifically women, mm -hmm. uh, to help the current state of our country? That's a great point. Vote. Let me tell you something. Um, women outpace men in voting since 1966. No one ever reports that. Yeah. No one ever reports that a lot of the decisions that this country has made since 1966 have been dependent on the women vote. We, in fact, are thought of as a fringe voting. You know, they always talk about the voters and then, oh, yeah, and women vote as if it was something aside. No, 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 no. We're actually the, the, the people that vote most. And. And I think what's what is important, though, um, especially if you really do want to make a, a difference. And I'm going to speak now to the Latino population specifically. Yeah. You know, we've tried telling people that we are financially a powerhouse. Right. And it doesn't seem to be working um, because no matter how much trillions of dollars we contribute to the to the GDP, we're still treated as if we were somehow, um, you know, a minority. And that's that's probably a, another aspect. But I'll get into that in a minute. Um, so to me, the last real power, um, and I've seen this this year, when you exercise your vote as a community, especially women, um, you start to explain to people, I am measured and I am basically, um, you've counted me. I count. Because you now give them a measure, right? It used to be that I thought, oh, the measure is money. The measure is how much we spend. But it's diffused so much and people by industry and you know all that stuff, but there's no qualms, there's no qualms about it. You either vote or you don't, right? And that there's only one outcome: your person wins or your person doesn't win, right? Or you upend the system, right? And saw what see what happened in West Virginia, see what happened in Alabama, where women were the ones that said, you know what, I am going to stop being assumed as part of this massive vote. I'm actually going to stand out, specifically African American women, um, in, in Alabama. And I'm actually going to stand up and say, measure me by my vote and count me by my difference that I just made, right? And so to me, I think the biggest thing you can do for your community is not only get yourself out to vote, but get you know other women out to vote because I think we have a chance to exercise it. Someone just told me, did you know that women were the ones that saved the river walk? Apparently in the 30s, there was an ordinance to pave over the river walk. And women got together because we had just gotten the right to vote uh, 10 yeah. years earlier. Women got together, women formed contingencies, and women um, voted down that option. They also wrote a play called um, The Goose Who Lays the Golden Egg, and they put this play on to explain what was happening. Uh, I know you're gonna look it up. Uh, but, but to me, I mean, for God's sakes, people, women already saved San Antonio, let's go out and do it again. Let's go out and do it again. I love it. Si sí se puede. Si sí se puede. So one of our other um, oh. listeners. Oh, one more thing. No, go ahead. Go one ahead. more thing. Let's not call ourselves a minority anymore. We're 63% of the city. 
We're not a majority minority. We're the majority. Uh -huh. So stop saying majority minority journalists and everyone else. Just say it. <laughs> Just, Just say the majority Latino population. Uh, but I think even the state by 2040, we are going to be more than half the state. Um, and I think that that's something that's important as you talk to your kids is that, you know, we're no longer a minority. Right. And, I, and I think minority was established to discuss numerical numbers, numerical numbers. And when you are more than half a population, then technically speaking, you're no longer a minority. I think that will go a long way to social healthiness because women, I think, have the same issue, is that we are half, if not more, than the population now as well. We're no longer a minority either. I'm not saying that from the perspective of fairness. That doesn't mean that, that we're not still treated like one. What I'm saying is it starts with self-identification. It starts with us understanding This is how we're going to self-identify, which leads us to, of course, the Latinas are leaders stuff that I know I'm going to get killed if I don't mention. Yes. Um, so the Latinas are leaders um, event that's happening next week on Wednesday, the 29th, from 11.30 to 1 at the uh, NBC Suites San Antonio River Walk downtown. There, I got it in. <laughs> it was created because, first, it's Women's Suffrage Month, right? So we wanted to ensure that we highlighted women and the roles they played Um, in upending a system, right? So just like women in 1929 kind of changed everything for us, these four Latinas are the first in their industry to become um, a representation of a Latina in that role. So you've got Sheila Santos um, Slider, who is the first Latina deputy parliamentarian and the Texas House of Representative ever, okay? Um, you've got Olga Custodio. She was the first uh, military uh, pilot And when she retired from there, became the first commercial airline pilot that was a Latina. Wow. Okay? Marta Tijerina, which was the first Latina um, reporter, on-air reporter in Spanish language television. And then Justice Eva Guzman, the very first Latina ever elected or appointed to the Texas Supreme Court and the very first statewide Latina to win office. So you've got women who have trailblazed, but more importantly, they are women who, um, whether knowingly or unknowingly, decided that they were also going to change Um, the labeling of who they were, you know, what, what people said they were capable of. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of us, especially like my friends and I, we see you as just representation and to see what could be and all that you've accomplished in San Antonio in life. Um, what kind of advice or like, how do you deal with negativity Oh. in the public eye. Well, first off, you've got to you've got to just ignore half of it. Yeah. The the half you shouldn't ignore if it's if it's constructive criticism. <laughs> this constructive criticism, you know, make sure you look into yourself and say, "Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I did kind of come off this way or I did say something." But um but the other part of it is negativity is really only meant to distract you. And I think that's what's important um is that uh, sure there are probably naturally mean people out there. <laughs> But the majority of the people that say negative things or, or make a huge, you know, bluster out of something, they're really there just to distract you. Um, and I think, I think what you have to have is a good sense of what do you want to get done, um, and 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 don't let anyone, positive or negative or mostly negative, don't let anyone um, sort of distract you from what you need to to do. Um, I've always looked at negative comments as, okay, is there a grain of truth in it? If there isn't, if it's just to, to distract, then I'm like, All right, I, don't, I just kind of brush it off and move on. Um, you know, to be fair, 
uh, I, uh, I'm highly aware uh, that I am a chaparra, gordita, prietita. <laughs> I'm highly aware of it, you know, and I'm married to a very tall, lean, handsome man. Um, he's not that tall. He's not that tall. That's good to know. <laughs> tall compared to me because I'm 4'11". Um, but I'm, I'm highly aware that uh, there's probably not that many... Um, that many, you know, chaparra, gorditas, pretitas that have been thrust into the public eye to represent um, or to have a say, quite frankly, in, in in representing the city. And I take that very to heart. Um, power you know, well, and I think there's there's power in letting you know other girls or or, or or people know that you know the the representation of a Latino um, is really important. And so up until now, I grew up with novelas like all of you, you know, and, and I grew up with novelas where the, the, the closest one that ever kind of looked like me was Veronica Castro, yeah. joking around, because she was short, you know, she had curves, uh, she was kind of, her, the roles she played were a little, you know, they weren't always uh, so sophisticated. <laughs> no, Rosa Salvaje, everyone remember that? <laughs> she was a little, a little, uh, a little ghetto. Uh, but but everyone else was always uh, very different everyone was light-skinned everyone was tall everyone was thin to a certain degree and, and so um that's that was i think something that i didn't really think about growing up i just was who i was but on this side of it as i think about all the girls i come across um you know and and whether we want to admit it or not we still face racism you know um color is still a very very big issue within our latino population She's pretita, güerita, you know, we joke around about it now, but it's still stuff we talk about. Um, and it's still stuff that sometimes we use without knowing her, that we hurt um, our young women. Um, and I think for me, that is probably um, probably one of the things that, that I look at and think, whoa, I want to make sure that everybody out there understands that it doesn't really matter um, it doesn't really matter what you look like, but you know what? If I look like this, then you should know that, yeah, you can get, you can get an education. You can become a professional. You can have a respected career. And who knows? You can even become first lady. <laughs> uh, we're getting into like that mark where we're going to lose you, but I wanted to do a few big fires. Yeah, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but the first one that we need to just get out of the way is how do you self-care? Like, how do you stay? Ooh. How do you keep that vibe going? Um, I watch a lot of movies. A lot, a lot of movies. In fact, please, if you ever run into me at a movie theater, you know, say hi. But I go to many, many movies. And the reason is to me, um, it's a really great way to de decompress um, vicariously living through other people's stories in a way or vicariously weeping at other people's stories. Sometimes that's the only place I can cry without freaking people out, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of stress, guys. I mean, yeah. no, I'm, yo soy llorona. But, um, but what happens is sometimes, you know, you can't cry in front of your kids because they're like, what's going on? And you can't necessarily have, you know, cry, have a good cry sometimes at work because, of course, you know, we all know how that happens if a woman starts crying at work. Yeah. But, um, but sometimes the movies are the way in which I can go and I can have myself a really good cry and relieve stress um, or anger or, or some, some emotion I'm feeling. Other times they're a great way to just remind me that we're connected to something larger than ourselves. Like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. That I cried yes. from the minute yes. the came up. Yep. I was like, <laughs> So that, that movie, and, and the Christopher Robin movie of Winnie the Pooh. So th those, 
those, I think I use them as a good reminder that we're larger themselves. The other self-care I do um, is, and I'm going to have to go back to it because I've, I've lapsed, is yoga. You don't have to be that flexible to do it, but what it does is it chills you out. It really does. I think uh, two of the, I mean, the things that you've mentioned are things away from this guy. Oh, I'm yeah. Going from, like, the distraction of reading all of the commentary. Yeah. Like, texts and emails. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I try to not read the commentaries, um, if I can, of, of Ron. I, I mean, I read them, but only because I want to make sure I understand what he's getting, what he's being faced with, so that I can be more, you know, more sensitive to it. But honestly, for the most part, I'm like, eh. Yeah. Okay, breakfast taco order. Oh, yeah, okay. It's a um, papa con bacon, no egg, on corn. Or aguacate on corn, or <laughs> papa and chorizo on corn. And I normally get them from El Rodeo Jalisco on I-10. Yeah, shout out to them on I-10. Or my favorite barbacoa taco, Mimi's Barbacoa and Tacos and Salsa on 1604. Yeah, if you haven't gone to Tacos and Salsa on 1604 in Vance Jackson, you must go. Yes. Best barbacoa taco in the city. Okay, red salsa or green salsa? Uh, red salsa for most tacos, green salsa for a And then you had wanted to know how you asked for a raise, yeah. right? Okay, so here's the deal, ladies. And I've said this, people have heard me say it over and over again. First of all, keep track of what your industry standard is in your city, right? And ask for 20% more. <laughs> because most people will try to negotiate you down 20%. So what you want to do is, let's say you find out that you're 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 supposed to be making um, let's be let's be positive, hundred thousand dollars. You want to ask for hundred and twenty um, because a most most people will try to be like, okay, let's talk down down. You want to over ask. That gives you room for negotiation, and you never know, you might end up with one ten, even though you're you were wanting one hundred. But the second thing is that you shouldn't be afraid to ask for for the raise. Just make sure that when you go in, you're very clear on what you've accomplished. And you're very clear on what you're going to accomplish because here's the deal. You go in with a list of checkmark things that you've done, most of your bosses are like, yeah, that was your job, you know? <laughs> but if you go in saying, here's not only what I've accomplished, but here's what it's gonna lead to and why I feel that I deserve the raise so I'm able to then also get these things done with confidence, it changes the game. Most people forget to go in with that. Most people just bring the checklist of things they've done as if like, now that I've reached this level, I deserve a raise. You never deserve a raise. Let me be really clear. No one ever deserves a raise because the issue of a raise is subjective to your boss. And whether or not they believe that you deserve it is not necessarily gonna be in line with whether you believe you deserve it. So the best thing you can do is show them that that further investment of money in you is gonna pay off by the plans you have in the future. I wanted to make sure I added that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, favorite book and why? Oh, favorite book. Okay, well, that one's interesting. I have a feeling that right now it's the Wrinkle in Time series, but book three, Swifty Tilting Planet. Um, the reason is because it's got a rune in it that I have memorized since I was 12 years old and I still know it. Um, and whenever I'm stressed out, I kind of repeat it to myself. But I also think it's the perfect mix of sci-fi, fantasy, um, and and unicorns. <laughs> I am a child of the eighties, after all. <laughs> we appreciate you so much. You're welcome, ladies. Thank you for inviting me. So that was our episode. Hope how, you liked it. How awesome was it? Let us know. 
If you um, want more info about the Latinos or Leaders Luncheon, um, you can go to sahcc.org. And it's under events. Um, yeah. Listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, Pocket Cast, Google Cast. There's a few more. I don't remember them all you can ever. Follow us on Instagram <laughs> and Facebook at I2AYTU Podcast. And then um, also, don't forget to rate or review us. We're getting reviews on Apple and we appreciate it so much. Let us know. We want to hear from you guys. Yeah. All right. So, as always, don't forget to own your I2 moment. <laughs> we Bye, almost you guys. forgot. <laughs> <laughs>